Welcome in everyone to a special edition of the Flow Track Podcast. I am Kevin Sully coming to you live after the second Diamond League meet of the year, which took place in Birmingham, England. Just wrapped. So if you're watching this live on YouTube, you're especially dedicated. You want a little bit of a post-meet reaction. I'm going to give it to you. Gordon might join us. Gordon might not. Email the show, flowtrackpodcast at gmail.com. Also, leave comments throughout the show or after the show in the chat. Try to get to some as we go. Let me know what you thought of the meet. There were some surprises here. There were some disappointments, some letdowns, both both pre-meet when we had Elaine Thompson hurrah scratching and during the meet as well too. Let's start first with the hundreds because that's what we tabbed as the most interesting, most compelling along with the 1500s going into this meet, the men's and women's 100 meter dashes. And we had Trayvon Bromel on the start list. We had Andre de Grasse on the start list. We had Omanyala on the start list earlier. He scratched out. We had Zarnell Hughes, who was trying to get in a good race after that disappointing false start at the Olympics last year in the final. And we had two false starts. We had two false starts in this men's 100. The first one, Trayvon Bromel. Clear as day. Clear as day in this false start. Um, sometimes in track and field, when you're watching it on TV, it's hard to pick it out. It's hard to decipher. Hey, did, was that guy moving a little bit? Was that guy swaying? Was that person rocking back and forth? Now, this one was very clear. This one was very clear and very obvious. He didn't immediately exit the track. And if I was him, I wouldn't either. Because in a lot of these meets, no one really knows what the actual rules are. People can run under protest. People can argue. People can put up a fight. Sometimes they just let them run for reasons that have never quite been clear to me. So he stood there. He, he waited it out. And then he got the red card. And then he exited the track. And listen, he made a mistake. He owned up to it afterwards. So does a rookie mistake. It's just a clear false start. It's something you have to call. I saw some people afterwards talking about you change this rule, change that rule. Listen, you can't change all the rules just because of one person false starting. And let's think about the history real briefly of the false start rule since we went to the one and done system. Obviously, famously, there's Bolt and Daegu, and then everyone's like, change the rule, change the rule, change the rule. How many big time false starts have there been between Bolt and then now in major championship type races? Not a ton. You can point to a few. And then if you say, okay, well, do one charge to the field and everybody gets a second one. There's issues with that. Go back to the old, everybody gets two. There's issues with that and trying to keep things on schedule. There's no perfect way to do it. There's flaws with all the, the, the systems that are proposed. So sometimes I know it's tough. I know it's brutal, but the one and done system is the rule that we have and you got to stick to it. So after that, we get another one from Zarnell Hughes and Otto Bolden on the broadcast that I was watching point out Zarnell Hughes has trouble with this, right? Bromel, no. Hughes, it's been an ongoing problem. Uh, Michael Johnson tweeted afterwards, Zarnell Hughes says, false start at every race I've seen him enter over the last year. At this point, he's taking a lane that should go to someone who's going to finish that race. A little harsh, a little harsh for Michael Johnson. I don't think he should be banned from the sport of track and field because he has uh, a false start problem. Also, looks like from pulling up his results, he finished a couple hundreds in Jamaica, but he clearly has issues with false starts that he needs to sort out. 
So then after all that, we finally get to the race. We're down two runners. And speaking of 2011, I had a 2011 flashback for about 60 meters of that race. I thought Johan Blake was going to win this 100. And I thought, man, what a story that would be. Johan Blake, throwback performance. Who cares about the time? But Johan Blake winning a Diamond League, that would have been a result nobody would have predicted. And then about the last 30 meters, Aaron Brown went by him and won. 10-13 to 10-18. Jerome Blake, third, 10-20. DeGrasse, 10-24. I guess aside from the false starts, the story is DeGrasse in fourth and people panicking about DeGrasse in fourth. The way I feel about DeGrasse in the sprints internationally is almost how I feel about all these years of Matthew Centuritz domestically in the 1500. Gets it right when the time counts. He's going to be in the mix. Not worried about DeGrasse. That does not surprise me at all that he ran this time. Let's go over the women's 100 now, though. Let's go over the women's 100 where we did not have Elaine Thompson hurrah, unfortunately. We did not have her in this race. Late scratch. Gordon and I talked about that on Friday. But we did have Gabby Thomas. We did have Sharika Jackson. We did have Dina Asher-Smith. We did have Daryl Nader. We had some solid competitors. The first surprise, though, was the fact that Gabby Thomas ran the B heat of the 100. How many times do we talk about people running when they have two heats in a Diamond League and they peace out after the first one? Gabby Thomas did the opposite. She didn't need to run the B race, but she ran the B race in 11.27 and won it and then came back and ran the A race. Perhaps that's preparation for trials when she's going to be running multiple races over the course of that competition. But in any event, the final didn't end up being about Gabby Thomas. It ended up being about Dina Asher-Smith, who got beat pretty convincingly in a 200 by Thomas and Sharika Jackson in Doha not too long ago. So she turns the tables here. She goes 11-11. Not a fast time. Not a crazy time. But she gets the win over Jackson, who I have, you know, still top three in the world. That's the bronze medalist, Sharika Jackson. Sharika Jackson is a key part of that Jamaican sweep. If Jamaica wants to sweep, now they'll get four in because Fraser Price has the bye. So they'll have a little bit of wiggle room there. But for Jamaican women to sweep in the 100, they need Jackson to come up big. So I thought this was a. Important run for Asher Smith after that 200. And kind of makes you wonder, hey, is that Jamaican sweep still possible? What are the odds of that Jamaican sweep now? Because we know there's other women who can run in that range. You get down to 10-9, 10-8, obviously. Select company. But low 11s, there's plenty of women who can run that time. So we got to figure it's going to be crowded. And a lot of women who can run around that time, that let's just say 10-9 to 11-1 range, that's a lot of the American contingent too. So we know Elaine thompson Harav, she's at her best, is going to be up there. We know Shelly Ann Fraser-Price, if she's at her best, is going to be up there. But then who's in that next group? Who's in that next group and how close are they to Sharika Jackson? And it looks like right now, Asher Smith, she had some... Bad injury luck last year at the Olympics. She's a world champion going back to 2019. 
looks like she's coming back to her old self. So that women's hundred is getting pretty excited. I also saw supposedly we're going to see Shakira Richardson later on today racing in Florida. But yeah, put up this if we can put up the descending order list from this year. You see how crowded it is in the 10.8s into the 10.9s, right? And a lot of American representation there too. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see where Jackson fits in going down the line. But right now, I'd say it's an interesting result to see Asher Smith back to where she was. And so far, Shrika Jackson, you know, 11 flat is her best time. Yeah, that was into a big headwind. But can Jackson be that key part of the Jamaican sweep. Because we know Thompson Ra is going to be there. We know Fraser Price is going to be there. Um, that fourth person that they get, maybe they can pick up the slack. But Jackson right now uh, has a little bit of work to do to catch up to those other athletes. Let's talk 1,500 now. Let's talk 1,500. Let's talk with the women's side. Laura Muir did what she was supposed to do. Olympic silver medalist, 402.81. Jessica was right on her. And for a while, I thought, hey, Jessica might pull this off because she'd just run really well in Doha. She has more race experience. I thought, man, maybe Muir is just in this because it's a home meet, total rust buster, and she's not going to be able to hold off someone with the sharpness right now of Hull. Because Hull is emerging. Hull is on the rise right now. But... That last lap, Laura Muir showed why she's Laura Muir and just held Hull at bay, held Hull at bay, held her at bay. And then finally, the last hundred, there was a little bit of a crack, a little bit of daylight. And then she extended the lead from there and got the win. Not a fast time, not a fast time. But for Muir, this was just about getting out there. I know she had some injury issues during the winter. So it's about getting back out there putting her best race that she has right now on display. And look, there's no Kippy God in this field. There's no Safan Hassan in this field. It's, there's no Gabrielle debut stopper. You're missing a lot of the big names. And yet, she still, uh, she still performed well. Um, and I think this, this win means something because I think Hull is, is good this year. I think Hull is a solid, solid woman to watch in the 1500 she's been getting better and better getting more and more consistent it is interesting to think we don't we haven't had a sub four yet this year in the women's 1500 now it's not as crazy as the men's 800 in terms of times but maybe it's getting there we haven't had that crazy women's 1500 yet this year and part of that is because we haven't had kip you gone yet in a 1500 Hassan we haven't had in a 1500 a lot of the big names haven't run the 1500 at all, let alone against each other. So we'll get that going later on in the year. But I think a good start for, for Muir. And if I could, I'll just stick with the British women while we're on this topic right now, the women's eight, because Keely Hodgkinson was in a somewhat similar situation coming into this race. Now she ran more than Muir indoors and she put out that one incredible performance early on or midway in the indoor season, but then had to scratch world indoors. So you could have had some questions about her going into this weekend, wondering, hey, is she, is she a full go? But runs 158 and, and wins it going away. Ran this race 
how you'd expect her to run if you think she's basically better than everybody in the world except for a thing mo i mean the way she controlled this race is how a thing mo controls her races patient and then you put your foot on the gas and then just pulls away from everyone i thought ghoul would be able to give her a good run because ghoul has been racing more a little bit sharper but hodgkinson is just a clear number two right now i don't know how close she is to a thing mo at number one we're not going to figure that out until they race each other but i'm still keeping mo solidly in at number one i mean she looked really good at penn she's hasn't really you know ran the 50 point out in puerto rico but she she's an outlier you'll put her aside keely hodgkinson can run great and not beat a thing mo that's a fact that we saw last year but this was a good sign for her and maybe maybe that gap is shrunk a little bit we don't know again we're not sure but the 158 against that field dominant performance that's a good run for her i think she's going to be getting back into 155s by the time we come around to the championship i mean it's it's fun to think what that women's 800 is going to look like at in eugene like that final how fast could that be because we saw how good it was last year at the olympics and those women were what 18 and 19 last year or 19 and 19 and 19 um so if they're even a little bit better next year this year you're talking about something crazy quick so lamont was second 159.5 ghoul slipped back to third two flat 0.13 sage herda of the u.s in fourth 200.48 Trying to figure out the U.S. team behind a thing, Mo, is a tough task. Like, if you pull up the U.S. women's 800 list right now, it is very difficult to sort out. You obviously know that a thing, Mo, is there. And then you have, you feel good about Raven Rogers. You feel, I mean, Ajay Wilson with all the experience, the world indoor gold. But look at that. Look at that. That top six, eight. I mean, we had a high schooler, Juliet Whitaker, yesterday in New York, 159.80. That's the number two high school performance U.S. in history, only behind Mary Kane. So she's someone to watch. You have collegians that I'm sure are going to get in to the mix as well, too. And then just a lot of people in the 158, 159 range. Obviously, you think, okay, who can break free from that? A thing Mo is the top of the list. Raven Rogers, top of the list. Ajay Wilson top of the list, but it's going to be, that one's going to be tight even to make final. Making the final is going to be very hard for the U.S. women in, in the 800. Let's jump over to the men's 15. This is the one that Gordon was most interested in. He's not here, so we'll talk about it like seventh on, this, on the rundown. But I was interested in this one too because it had everybody minus three guys. Didn't have Cherry, didn't have Inga Britson, didn't have Tefera, but it did have Kip Sang, who's been the guy to beat this year, just beat Cherry. It had Oliver Hoare, it had Katir, it had Josh Kerr. So it, it had Stuart McSwain, who's struggling this year. Didn't run well in Doha and then faded again today and finished way back in 14th. But Kip Sang gets it done again. Not a flashy time, but hey, there were no flashy times out there really today at all. 
best performance was in the men's discus. We'll get to that later. But 335.15, he's just, he's just racking up the wins at this point. He had the impressive Nairobi win with the crazy conversion to altitude. So I guess, I mean, that's his best, that's his best time, and that was a, an altitude conversion time. Um, I mean, even without the altitude conversion, it was fast. But on the Diamond League side of things, Doha wasn't crazy fast. This wasn't crazy fast. Um, you know, we haven't had a 329 or anything like that, which I didn't anticipate we'd have that early in the year. And he just looked in control. He looked poised. Again, this was a tough group. Kerr looked like he was getting going to get into the mix, but was pretty far back. And by the time he made a move, it looked like it was too late. Katir had some great moments last year and then some races where he wasn't great. Uh, 335 solid for him. Orr's probably happy with his 335. A lot to take away from this race. A lot, to, a lot of positives to take away from everybody in this race. But I think the big storyline here is you kept saying. I mean, I, I moved him up to number two in the rankings behind only Jakob Ingebrigtsen. But listen, Ingebrigtsen's beatable. He's beatable. You know, he lost to Chariot in the Diamond League final at the Olympics, and then he lost... World indoors to Tefera. The idea that Ingebrigtsen's just going to completely go unscathed, I think, is not giving the proper respect to the rest of the field and how deep this field is. And you do have several guys who, on the right day, can beat him. Now, would I say Ingebrigtsen's the favorite? Yeah, absolutely. But he's definitely beatable. This gap is not that big. And someone like Kipsan, who's displayed in his 31500s this year, how good he is. Could be that guy, or it could be Tefera again, or it could be Chariot again. Who look at I me? Mean, look at Chariot's all-time record against Ingebrigtsen, and it's not like it's a thing of the past. It's not like Jacob Ingebrigtsen solved Timothy Chariot. He beat him at pre after the Olympics, and then what happened at the Diamond League final? Chariot got him right back. That's not settled. He didn't just he didn't pass him, and then now that's all she wrote. Chariot is, is right there with him. And if Kip Sang is with Chariot, that just tells me, hey, that's another guy that Jakob Ingebrigtsen is going to have to contend with. So he is, he is on the rise. He's a guy to watch. He was good last year. He's even better this year. That's all I'll say about Timothy Chariot. What's next? Men's eight. Oh, man. Men's eight. This is why I wish Gordon was here because he had the stat about how many guys have broken 145 compared to last year to this year. I thought, ah, we're probably getting ahead of ourselves. I remember a few years ago, former colleague Lincoln wrote about how no man had broken 13 minutes in the 5,000. And then the very next Diamond League meet, like, people ran 1240s and like, 10 guys went under 13. I thought we were going to jinx it again, but in a good way. I thought we were going to see something incredibly quick. But listen. Nobody, Eric Sawinski is going to win one of these races. Eric Sawinski is going to rabbit his way to one of these races because nobody is going with him. They said on the broadcast, they asked for 50.5. Sawinski goes out 50.49. How's that for pacing? But no one's there. No one's with him. All right, next 200, will things get going? Not really. And then Marco Arop takes off, and it looks like a crazy move. You're like, man, this guy, this guy broke the field. Is he going to run 143? What's he going to go? And he runs 145-41. And credit to him. Solid race. 
solid win. But we just haven't seen the fast times yet. We have not seen um, anybody grab this event. I mean, look at these results, 145-41. And he's the only guy who was sub-146. Benjamin Robert, 146-22. Bryce Hopper, 146-33. Jake Whiteman, 146-39. Dobet, Kinyamal, Murphy, Rowden, Bull. Bull just had a great race in Doha. It was tactical. Garcia, the guy who was the indoor champion, the guy to beat, had a great indoor season. 10th and 148. I'm not sure what's going on. I don't know if we're ever going to figure it out. Is this going to extend all year, or is this eventually going to break and we're going to get something quick? But we got two guys under 145 this year. And I'm not expecting it to be 142s every weekend or 143s every weekend, but I thought by this point we would have seen something. And listen, keep doing this for another couple of weeks. David Rodish is going to get some ideas. Avery Rodish is going to log on to the World Athletics website and be like, wait, what? What's the fastest time? I need to run a 145 and I could be winning Diamond Leagues? I could do that. Sign me up. But seriously, Donovan Brazier might be, for Donovan Brazier, this is a great sign too. Because Brazier doesn't need to get back to 2019 Donovan Brazier. He just needs to be a 143 high guy. I mean, what do you think is going to win Worlds this year? Is it going to get back to where it was? I don't know, because you look at the guys who have been running fast over the past few years, and they haven't really shown anything yet this year. I mean, again, maybe they will. But a lot of them, like Amos, getting onto the latter part of the career, their career. I saw Emmanuel Courier is running a 400 this weekend. So maybe we'll get to see him in an 800 soon. Razor's only run one 800. A lot of questions. A lot of questions. All right, what else? Diamond League record in the discus. That was crazy. Been a big week for the throws. Uh, we saw the big javelin throw from Anderson Peters in Doha with the wind behind him. Um, this time it was uh, Christian Che, 71.2 second, or 71.27 meters. World lead, national record, diamond record, meet record, personal best. He got all the letters by his name. Uh, Allman won the women's discus, 67.85. She's rolling out there. Um, scrolling through the rest of these. Dalila Muhammad cruised in that four-meter hurdle race, 54.54. Um, Didn't see much that surprised me in that one. I mean, just getting the victory there, 54. That's easy, easy work for her. Men's 400, Hudson Smith, 45-32, just ahead of Deadman, 45-51. I think Norman's running today. Norman run a quarter today? I think Norman's running a quarter today. So that might end up being the 400 that we talk about. Uh, women's 5,000, Sayum, 14-47. She's the favorite. There was no surprise there. 100 hurdles, 110 hurdles for the men. Parchment. Parchment's been running well. And the U.S. has a chance to rack up a lot of medals in the, in the high hurdles. So you got Holloway. Allen's been running well. Obviously, Trey Cunningham. And then whoever that 
next person is that qualifies, because I assume it's going to be that group of three plus two others, they're going to send a, a stacked team to Eugene. But Parchment can obviously get in the way. McLeod can too. We know McLeod at his best is very good. But Parchment just beat Devin Allen in Puerto Rico, and then now he runs a 13.09. So he's been consistent. Obviously saw what he did in Tokyo last year. I know Grant Holloway's going to be keen to get the get the gold. But it was looking very solid for the U.S. It was hard to find, okay, who's going to actually break up this group? But I think the clear person, the, the candidate for that, obviously, Hansel Parchment, which is no surprise, right? Like the guy who went and won the Olympic gold, not surprising. But remember, that was an upset. And I think people are going to be like, yeah, all right. He had that one year. He had that great race. But next year, it's going to be a totally different year. But it makes sense. Olympic champion is in the mix. Because um, that's one of those events. I mean, I wouldn't call it. I still think it's a long shot. But U.S. could get two medals. And then in a crazy scenario, could actually get, get a sweep. Long shot, I know. But great run for Hansel Parchment. Any questions in the chat? I'm logging in on the chat here to see if anybody else has any comments. Uh, Levi says, sad to see Royal Falls started. Yes, I agree. All in the game says, another Zarnell Hughes false start. Yeah, I'd like to read more about that. I'd like to learn more about like what's actually going on there. Because Otto Bolden in the, in the broadcast, talking about Bromel, it's like, his start is so good, he doesn't need to guess the gun. But for Parchment, is a situation where he feels like he needs to get out in front of it. Because if so, I mean, I think he has enough evidence now to know that that strategy doesn't work. Um, on the game says, Darren Ada also looked good, 0.03 behind Dina. Yep. Yep. She ran well. She was good last year, too. Anthony says, haven't seen Safana Son all year. Uh, they announced her for the pre two mile or 5,000. I don't know. I think she's going to go against Nian Saba. So we'll see her in a few days. And I'm excited to see that. Um, people are excited about seeing Arian Knighton. Yeah, he's running some hundreds. We're going to see Arian Knighton coming up. Oh, yeah, Nian Saba was supposed to run today. Okay. She said she didn't run due to my delay in UK visa to allow me to travel. Okay, that, I was wondering that because the 5,000 started, and I thought I remember hearing about Francie and Nian Saba on the start list, and I didn't see her. So I went to say um, I think she would have won, obviously, based on how she's been running. Colt, producer Colt. How are we doing? How's the how's the solo show going for you? You're good? you're doing great, Kevin. You're you're rocking it. Okay. Any feedback? <laughs> I think we got to everything. No, I think you got it. Is there anything else? I think got to anything else. Um. Yeah, we did. We we're not going to get to hear about Gordon's karaoke song. I'm just realizing that, right? That's what uh, we wanted to. Damn it! Remember that was going to be. You're right. Yeah, I thought we were going to talk to him about it. I hope he picked Fort Minor. I hope that's what he selected for <laughs> his karaoke song. That's why he's not here. He's still doing. Yeah, he's minor. still still in the karaoke bar, passed out somewhere. <laughs> I would, would not surprise you. So maybe Gordon will be back on Monday. If not, this will just turn into the solo. 
Kevin pod. And it'll be over in 30 minutes each day because I'll just be very precise. I'll just get right to the point. No messing around. No jokes. Nothing. Um, yeah. See, Gordon can't complain about low, uh, low podcast reviews if he's not here. This podcast is terrible. Please replace Gordon. That was the feedback from someone. Well, we didn't replace him. He's just not here. I guess Colt could replace him. Colt, do you feel like you know enough about running? You could just chime in every like four minutes with just like one line. Uh, no, not at all. I I don't think so. I think I like the water advice is going to be the extent of what I can give. <laughs> water. Stay hydrated, everybody out there. All right. Well, we'll leave it there. I want to thank everyone for tuning in for this quick recap of the uh, Birmingham Diamond League. We'll do another one. That one is planned to be solo. Maybe I'll get a guess. I don't know. For pre next week. We're still figuring out the schedule of that. But subscribe if you haven't yet to the Flow Track Podcast YouTube page. You can become a member. Uh, check out all the content on the Flow Track YouTube page. This Week in Track, the weekly series that I do. It's a lot of fun that I enjoy putting together. The race breakdown, Gordon does the NCAA show. I do the ranking show. All that's up on uh, YouTube as well. Follow us on Instagram. Where else? Snap? No, what are we on? TikTok now? Travis, we're on TikTok, right? I think so. Yeah, okay. All that stuff. Anyway, thanks, Colt. Thanks, Travis. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Hope you guys enjoyed the meet and enjoyed the recap. Have a great rest of your weekend. We will talk to you guys on Monday.